Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of CMF Curo. Learn more at www.mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us will be the inimitable Dr. Kevin Majors, psychiatrist in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Harvard Medical School, to talk about the philosophy, theology, psychology, and physiology of anger. Andrew, what makes this topic of anger especially poignant now amidst a pandemic that just doesn't seem to want to end? Yeah, it it does seem like COVID has put a bold face on anger. I always think of the little red character from Inside Out, the Pixar movie, for (laughs) for listeners who have seen that. And uh, anger is something that is so common. We can recognize it in ourselves. We can recognize it in others. And uh, trying to tease out you know, when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate. And the thing I'm most interested in is how to deal with people who are angry, where I'm not necessarily angry. But, you know, Tom, you had alluded to the COVID pandemic. I feel like we're, we just see anger so much now, especially in healthcare. Uh, Yes. And in fact, the genesis of this episode, to be biblical, came from an email from one of our friends who wrote that he had just finished 11 days in the COVID ICU. 12 deaths in that period of time, most in their late 50s and 60s, people who were unvaccinated. And the doctor says they've witnessed a level of anger, disbelief, and suspicion among families against healthcare providers never before seen by the, these doctors and nurses. So the medical part of treatment is hard enough, but remembering charity among people in regard, who regard you as the enemy is a great challenge. Uh, and so this doctor and others have asked us to explore the topic of anger on Dr. Doctor, and it, it doesn't just apply to the lives of doctors, does it? No, not at all. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking specifically of, of our colleague who sent this email, uh, probably the nicest, like softest spoken guy ever, the nicest guy to get along with. Um, and he's trying to treat people and save their lives, and they're, they're meeting them with anger, which, you know, one of the things that we do at, at our clinic is we'll start each staff meeting with a prayer and one of the things that I always pray for is to try and see Christ in the most challenging patients and uh, and hopefully be able to be Christ to them. And so that's one of the big things that I'm interested in, not only why we're seeing it, but you know how, how do we recognize it in ourselves and what do we do? And Kevin Majors, man, talk about a guy to help sort this all out for us. He's the man. And in fact, last, last night to further our show preparation, I got out my trusty little book by Peter Kraft called Practical Theology, a spiritual direction from St. Thomas Aquinas. Figure can't go wrong with Aquinas. So he has a page on anger where he quotes from the Summa. But there's one thing that Aquinas quoted in here that really got me. And it was on St. John Chrysostom, who said that he who is not angry when he has cause to be angry sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. Wow. And he goes on to say that it would fall under the sin of sloth to not be angry when we are supposed to be. And so then for our other part of the prep, I looked through the Bible and I looked in the Gospels. And I looked up wherever it said the word anger, uh, except in words like stranger, or it was just part of it. But you know how that word search works. So anyway, you know, the thing we typically think about is when Jesus drove out the money changers, but it doesn't use the word anger in there. Oh, is really? that surprising? Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I, I don't have it in front of me, but that's what we always think of, like, oh, Jesus was angry, so it's okay sometimes. Well, and he probably was uh, angry, but there are other times. There's one time in Mark 3 when it says he was he looked at them with anger. Why? Because he was grieved at their hardness of heart when he was healing on the Sabbath. So it specifically says, yes, Jesus was angry. Um, and then there are a couple parables where, you know, the, the king in the parable represents God, the father, you know, the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22, the parable of a banquet in Luke 14, where the, 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 uh, the householder, the man in charge said in anger to a servant, go out into the streets and fill my banquet hall. So representing, yes, so that Jesus did get angry. So how do we be angry and sin not? If you're listening to Bible in a year, yesterday when I was listening to it, that verse in Ephesians came. So I can't uh-huh. wait for Kevin to um, help to shed more light 
than heat on this hot topic. Well, and if, I mean, I, if some of our listeners are like me, I hear some of these things and say, ah, so when I'm angry, clearly it's okay. It's righteous <laughs> anger. Jesus was angry, so it's okay that I'm angry. Um, how, I guess what, what maybe if we can discover a litmus test to help us identify times when we are inappropriately angry and, you know, it's a, it's a deficit that we have to work on or, how do you know when it's appropriate anger and uh, to, to what end? Clearly not just lashing out, but probably to an end, you know. And, and then to learn what it does to our bodies physiologically, how it how it harms us. And so to, to recognize that, how do we overcome that? Because I bet adrenaline is going to be involved here if I know Kevin. Sounds like fight or flight to me. It sounds like it. Yeah. Or at least the of, fight part. <laughs> a, a lot of the fight part. Yeah, that little red guy in Inside Out. Darn it, they made him too cute. I don't think <laughs> anger is generally that cute, but but he was. So I did find a medical trivia question of the day that had to do with anger. Ooh, that's good. So yeah, the category is be angry and fibrillate not. Now you run into patients with atrial fibrillation. What is that, Andrew? Atrial fibrillation. It's it's what you know the patients call in and it's always Friday night. But we know what it is, and it's important to get them treated so they don't have a stroke. But atrial fibrillation is where your heart beats poorly. It beats willy-nilly like a middle school band, and it tries <laughs> to cause a blood clot and cause a stroke. And so you have to get on medicine or have an ablation or other procedures so you don't die. Right. So the top part of the heart, uh, there are two atria. One is an atrium. are just quivering like a bag of worms. Uh, and so that's bad because you can get blood clots going to your brain, your heart, your lungs, your legs. Not a good thing. So in 2019, the journal Heart Rhythm looked at 91 patients with atrial fibrillation. And what they did, they put, they had them track and they had to report every half hour if they felt angry. Mm. And then they correlated this with attacks of symptomatic atrial fibrillation. So symptomatic, the heart might be doing it, but they're not always feeling symptoms like a lot of people don't notice even when it's going on. We're like, do you feel bad? No, I feel fine. Other people, every single time they feel it. An excellent point. So they tracked, when did they feel, you know, palpitations in the chest, chest pain, dizziness, weakness, lightheadedness, or shortness of breath. What they discovered was that somebody who noted, noted anger in the prior 30 minutes was 20 times as likely to have symptoms as someone who didn't have anger but a history of AFib. Mm. The question is, there was a medicine that people could take and it reduced uh, to one-fifth the level, the amount of symptoms they had. What group of medicines, mm. what class of medicines were taken that are often used for heart failure, angina, or high blood pressure that blunted the bad effects of anger? That's the question, the class of drugs. Most people have heard of it, but you're not going to hear it again until the end of the show. We'll be right back after the break with Kevin Majors on anger here on Dr. Doctor. And we're back with Dr. Kevin Majors, who joins us for the 10th or so time here on Dr. Doctor. Kevin's originally from Minnesota, went to college in Dallas, where he also did his medical school and psychiatry residency. He did a fellowship at the Beck Institute of Cognitive Therapy and Research in Philadelphia. And for over 10 years, he's been on the faculty of Harvard Medical School, where he teaches cognitive behavioral therapy to psychiatrists in training. He's also co-founder of OptimalWork.com and the Golden Hour Podcast. And today, Kevin's with us to talk about anger. Welcome back, Kevin. Great to be back, Tom. So, Kevin, what's a useful definition of anger that we can use to guide our discussion today? Probably the most classical definition of anger is the desire for vengeance. Mm. And so you could think of it as a desire to teach a lesson. And so I think of anger as the didactic emotion. So <laughs> it's always wanting to teach. To teach a lesson. Because when we hear the word vengeance, immediately it sounds like, oh, this is always wrong. But exactly. But it, it isn't necessarily always wrong. Exactly. But we always, when we're angry, you'll see that you can ask yourself, like, what is it that I really want to teach this person? So it's just that there is, there's something that they've done that in some way has slighted us or that just strikes us in some way as, as wrong, but generally it's against us or maybe always. Uh, and so we feel like we need to like somehow set things straight, set the record straight. So we want to teach them this lesson. And like the harder they are to teach, the more difficult it seems and the more anger can kind of want to come in and help us to teach them. Kevin, is, is anger the same thing as frustration? I'm, and I'm thinking of 
being angry at a situation and not at a person per se, or is that a different thing? I think that anger, like in its truth, truest form, is always personal because there's someone that you want to teach. And in fact, that person probably has to be teachable by you. Aristotle says you can't be angry with the dead because <laughs> you, you can't do anything to them. And if someone is like too high above you, it's you know that then they say that you can't have you know you don't have anger, you just have sorrow. So there has to be something here that you feel like it's you're capable of teaching someone the lesson. But like if you're frustrated at work, you know, and frustration is just what happens when your satisfaction is thwarted. That's a very general kind of emotion. Well, so you're, you're frustrated at work with the way things are. Well, then you might get angry at your boss or angry at a coworker. So, you know, who is helping, making, you're blaming them for the situation. But I think that, you know, frustration doesn't kind of correspond to blame, but anger corresponds to blame. Mm, that makes sense. So, Kevin, I learned um, from a Dominican earlier this uh, fall that when Aquinas talks about the emotions, he identifies 11 emotions. Uh, five are in a pair, a positive and a negative, apparently. And then standing alone, like the cheese in the farmer of the Dell, is anger with no mate. So can you explain how Aquinas understood anger and how it stands in relation to other emotions? Yeah. So we basically have two kinds of emotion. And the technical words used are concupiscible and irascible. The real difference, I could say, just in terms of modern psychology, is that what are called the irascible emotions involve adrenaline, and the <laughs> concupiscible ones don't. Oh. And so the irascible ones are hope and despair, which are both about a good, but with hope that good seems attainable with striving, and with despair, it seems like it's unattainable no matter how much you strive. And then you also have daring and fear, which are about arduous evils. Daring is where you think it's conquerable. And then fear is where you think it is at least perhaps unconquerable. So you have the sense that, so that it just needs to be avoided. And then anger is what happens when there's some present evil that requires an arduous response. So that's the, those are the five of the irascible passions. So but then in the presence of evil, you're saying it's appropriate to be angry in a certain way. Well, or it can be. I think that it's, that's, that's very, that's very true. It's natural okay. that we, that we get angry when there's something to be vigorously repelled, mm -hmm. some evil, but, but anger is a little more subtle than just that because again, it, it always has a personal element and it is where you're taking offense at, at something that has been done to you. Most properly speaking, it's like, it's something done to you. You know, and so, so I think that it's also another thing that's tricky about anger is that it's a mixed passion according to Aquinas because it's, it's actually part hope and part sadness. The hope mm. is the hope for vengeance, the teach the lesson. <laughs> and the sorrow is at the injury that's that's triggering it. Ah. And Aquinas actually says that's why it's unbalanced. That's why it doesn't have an opposite. So because it's it has this complexity to it. Uh, Kevin, when, when I'm hearing you talk and I'm thinking about anger, what I'm thinking of is my three-year-old. <laughs> and and I'm thinking of the, the hope for vengeance against a sibling and, and the sorrow when it's unattainable. Um, but we, we all experience this. Why does God let us experience anger? Is there a good purpose for it that I'm, I'm missing? Or is it always something to be shunned? So I think that anger is one of the most essential training grounds for holiness. Okay. Mm. So it's a gold mine. And it actually is very tightly related to the Beatitudes. So the, it depends actually on the first two Beatitudes. It, the right response consists in the third, and then it prepares you for the rest of them. So it's interesting just if we could walk through a little bit. Sure. You know, because I think there's the Beatitudes are, I think the, uh, there are like mansions within mansions contained in the Beatitudes. In, in trying to understand them more deeply. And no matter what your starting point is, say take anger, there's this unique kind of fruitfulness to seeing the, the Beatitudes. Now, the first thing is when we're angry uh, about something, there's always 
some kind of undue attachment. So there's, there's something our heart has gotten set on, particularly as ourselves. And, 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 but there's you know, or something that we possess. Then we think that others should be respecting this. But Aquinas does say that contempt is always the cause in some way of anger. And so you have this beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. And wouldn't that just get rid of so much of, of the anger? You know, if we could identify what is it? Is it that I was attached to having rest this evening and now that's been thwarted? <laughs> you know, or uh, I don't know, I remember, you know, fights that would happen in my growing up where one sibling would take another's uh, some piece of clothing to wear <laughs> and then the other would get angry <laughs> about it or so something, you know, and so, but, uh, so, so you have this blessed of the poor in spirit, which is like it dissolves much of the foundation of anger. But, uh, but also, when we're grieved, at, you know, whatever the, the grief is that is at the core of anger, you know, at how we've been treated without consideration, that is a certain kind of sorrow. And you could ask yourself, well, what is the holiest form of sorrow? You know, and that's you know, that's the sorrow at how our Lord was treated. And I think that's the that's the right understanding or blessed are those who mourn. You know, that we should have contrition for our own sins. We should be sad about how we have offended God more than how others have offended us. So if we had these two things, detachment and contrition, I think that would undo most of anger. But then meekness itself is the virtue that perfects the passion and corrects the vice of anger. And that's the third beatitude, blessed are the meek. I mean, hopefully all of this is, you know, but as you go like, as you go further in it, I think that it gets even deeper because, because anger lets like conquering anger, the self-mastery we attain in it, uh, it shows, you know, the anger is always wanting to teach the logic of justice, but real perfect justice is actually the logic of love. And that's the next beatitude. You know, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That ultimately is charity, not simply justice. And then, Kevin, I love yeah. meekness. Meekness yeah. is something that's misunderstood by many people. The best definition I heard of it years ago, uh, when I was in medical school, is strength under control. Exactly. And, anger and, is strength out of control. Out of control. Yes. yes. So that's beautiful. And you mentioned adrenaline. Now, you know, one of your go-tos is, you know, turning the adrenaline of challenge or, you know, of uh, into adrenaline of a flow. Yes. Are you going to talk about how we can do that with the adrenaline of anger? Is that a possibility? I think that you don't want to use the energy that anger gives you. Ah. I think that Anger is not a sustainable and healthy form of energy. Uh, I think that it's, in my mind, it's a lot like a uh, sinker's bar. Uh, <laughs> so it does give you this cheap, quick energy, but your body doesn't really make good use of it. So, uh, you know, as anger, you know, I think that it doesn't bring out the best in us. Very good. So this is one time where, because on a, a, other shows, you've talked about how we can take adrenaline of, of fear, anxiety, and turn that into flow. But this is not that time. Yeah, I think that anger actually is different than anxiety. Now, from a neuroscience perspective, they're, yes, basically, they're basically identical. Because in some sense, what you have is your threat detector right. wildly, your amygdala wildly sounding because it's detected some kind of threat. And then it kicks in your fight or flight system. Well, yes. the flight part is anxiety and the fight part is anger. Okay. And so you have this, you have this option, you know, that, that you could either have fear in which we want to flee, or then you could have anger in which you want to fight. Well, anger does make us better at fighting, you know, and so that's where you could use this adrenaline to uh, hit harder and be hit more and not to get <laughs> tired by it. But apart from cases where that's somehow like totally justified, uh, which, you know, I think that what happens with fear is that in many times with fear, it's not really a threat. It's simply a performance need that is triggering the adrenaline. And then you can ask yourself, how can I best use this adrenaline to hit my highest performance right now? And that solves the issue. Like if you're going to be giving a talk in public. So if you're giving sure. a talk, you, know, you want 
you want adrenaline to give that talk because, you know, the threat is messing up, not performing well, you know, uh, but the, that what you're aiming for is some kind of excellence. You know, it could be like, I say, something to think of this example of a tenor singing an aria and he has to hit this perfect high note and then he's afraid. He gets all this adrenaline. He's like, I'm not, what if I don't hit it? My career will be ruined. I'll be hungry. <laughs> you know, but he needs to like welcome that adrenaline and use it to hit the high note. Yes. Okay. So that's what happens in these performance situations. Adrenaline just helps us to perform. But when it comes to anger, many times there is not the same kind of performance need at all. And instead, what you have is a bond with another person that is fraying or is at risk. And in that situation, the adrenaline may be much less helpful. And what you need to do is let the wave of the anger first pass so you can refocus on building the bond. Kevin, what I, I guess related to that is uh, what is righteous anger? Uh, we were talking in the first the first quarter about when, when Jesus drove out the people from the temple and St. Thomas said, sometimes it's bad if you should be angry and you're not. Is it safe to assume that whenever I'm angry, I'm always righteously angry? <laughs> or how how <laughs> should I tell right. the difference? I think it's probably better to view righteous anger as theandric. So only the God-man is capable of it fully. <laughs> <laughs> there is this, it's hard to know because anger is this desire to teach, desire to punish. And as soon as that has been exceeded, as soon as it's exceeded its limit, then it, Aquinas says it does, it flips into mercy. And then we feel mercy for the person we were angry at. Mm. But that means that almost always we miss the mark. We go over it. It's extremely hard to know what's the exact right level of, of anger. I remember uh, St. Jose Maria Escrivá giving the advice for parents, never punish your children while you're angry. Mm. I think that's extremely wise that that in that case, one, you will miss the mark more often than not, or perhaps always. And in some way you're going to regret having overpunished them. And then you'll feel you'll feel like you have to make it up. It's much better to recognize what's happened, the need for teaching, and then don't let that opportunity to teach them get missed. But at the same time, wait to teach. So that they know that you're not just acting from a place of power, yes. you know, and that you're just, because you're stronger, you're going to inflict your will on them. But that actually it's about the bond, it's how much you care for them, and it's what you're wanting to show them, <clears throat> that you're, you're coming from a place of wisdom. I think that actually is the, is the right thing of like making sure that the, what is being conveyed is caring and wisdom, not just the punishment of an infraction. So Kevin, give us something practical on how do we let this wave of anger pass? We recognize anger in ourselves. What's the best thing neuroscience, spiritually, physically yeah, to yeah. do? The best thing you can do is ask yourself, how angry am I? Ah, yes. And I tell people, scale it. And I put it on a scale of zero to 10. It's remarkable how as soon as you rate the anger, you are, you've made it the object of your containing awareness you are not subjected to it. So you've regained control of it in some important way just by your awareness of it and, and, and the kind of curiosity about it. Already being curious about the anger gives you a wedge that you can then work with, where now instead of just being pure anger in your chest, you're feeling also this another thing of curiosity you can double down on. So the next thing then for curiosity is, where do I feel it the most? So you're trying to bring in a, a welcoming sense of curiosity. Anger is not the problem. The problem would be acting on it. So you want to just bring to it the sense of mindfulness. And you'll see, even I think this works with children, you know, that if a child is angry, you could find a way of asking, how angry are you? And have a little way of rating it. Ah, so Andrew's three-year-old. Yeah, I think right. it works. With, yes, from what I've been, yeah, I don't have any children, but what I've been told is that yes, that this works even with children. You know, Kevin, I guess a follow up to that for for some of our listeners who may struggle with scrupulosity: is anger ever a sin, or is it only when you act on the anger? Well, anger is not a sin. Acting while angry is not a sin, but in some way, acting guided by anger 
is the problem. When you let the anger be the guide, and then you're using it, and you're not anymore thinking of what actually is the best way to handle this, you know, uh, but instead you're just trying to vent the anger. You know, so I think that then would always in some way be, be a problem. So is venting uh, ever good? That's something people say, oh, got to vent your anger. So Proverbs 2911 or 2911 uh, is a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Good answer. (laughs) That's very good. So Kevin, one of the best lessons I learned from your golden hour podcast was on anger and bonds that in the, and when you're angry, focus also on the bond that you want to preserve. And that has kept me quiet when Mm -hmm. I could have sinned with my mouth so many times since I learned that that was so practical. Uh, Give us some more information. How do we turn that? If we recognize we're angry and yeah, we ask how angry am I, but then what can we do about focusing on the bond better in that? Yeah. So you have to find out what is the grief that is at the core of the anger. Because underneath anger, you know, when you're experiencing anger, you, you feel it in your chest. And it's a tension that's in the chest. But it really is a lot like, this might sound strange, but it's a lot like a cantaloupe. <laughs> so there's this hard rind on the outside, <laughs> yes. of the, and that's the anger. Yes. And then there's this tender inside. You have to actually use your curiosity to move past, okay, now that you've located it, you've rated it, but what is really at the core of this? And there's some point of vulnerability that has struck you. Well, okay, well, that is actually then what's going to be touching on the bond. That the grief is somehow over, it's like it's, it's over uh, some kind of weakened or injured bond. And then how could I most surely deepen this bond? Like take the bond, take the person you're angry at and think only about how to deepen the bond with them apart from setting this wrong right. You know, and sometimes people do us real wrongs that, that uh, do really have to, I don't know, that, that I'm, I'm not trying to say that you should like just give in to whatever bad things people do to you, you know, you know, for the sake of the bond. But no, but generally speaking, if you are living with people who have a good will and, and you're both trying to live good lives, you know, in that case, then there is a way to focus on the bond you know, and that's what underlies, that's what's really driving the anger is the, is the weakened, injured bond. Kevin, I think that's a really good segue into kind of how to deal with our own anger and going into how to deal with anger coming at us. We've got to take a quick break here, but then after that, we'll be right back with Dr. Doctor and Kevin Majors on anger. We're back with the second half of our interview on anger with Kevin Majors. And Kevin, I want to ask you about my most challenging experience as a physician. It's probably our listeners' most challenging experience, even if they're not working with patients. And that is, I'm going into a room. My nurse tells me, boy, you better watch out because this patient is really angry. I get in there and the patient is not happy. He is quite angry. What is the best thing that I can do in that situation? Probably the the best response is to aim at mercy, that you're dealing with someone who is deeply grieved, and that is why the person is deeply angry. And you have to, if you can't be, if you can't, like, for instance, you know, resonate with the anger, you can resonate with the grief that underlies it, which you may not know what it is. So it requires, I think, putting aside all consideration of like taking offense or, you know, or, you know, so you, one, one has to become very small in some way, you know, and to give just a great deal of respect to the person who is speaking, um, the, the angry person. And I think one way of doing that also is, and this is, this can, it works, but it can sound really hard. You just practice agreeing with everything you can agree with. So there is always some element that we can agree with in what someone is saying when they're angry at us. We can get on board and we can be compassionate, especially with why this hurts them. And if we can be compassionate with the pain, we can perhaps help them to move a bit past the flare of anger, you know, to get, to get into, you know, the, 
And that's actually where the bond with this person is going to form is the compassion over the, the, the somehow the shared experience of the grief. So there's always a way to do it. They present a kind of surface difficulty, I would say, but it's really a deeper opportunity. If you can handle it meekly, don't let it be about you. Don't take offense. Try to get, you know, focus instead on what you can be giving them that's actually going to somehow be a balm for them. I think that ends up being very powerful. I think one of the hard parts for me is I take it personally. Should we try to not take it personally? If so, what is the way to do that? Yeah, I think that we can understandably, you know, like take it personally, because oftentimes, I mean, they could be accusing us or they could be imagining sure. all these things, you know, and so you could think, well, how could I not take it personally? Well, right. if it seems out of proportion, it's not about you. So it, it's about something else. It could be about someone else because angry is about people, you know, and, or it could be that they're imagining something, you know, that, uh, that in their imagine, and you have to like help them slowly to walk through. It's interesting. Aquinas says that, Actually, we have two potential causes of anger. One is our imagination and one is our reason. You know, and so, and it could be that this person has a completely imaginary kind of, you know, under thing in their, going on in their mind that has no bearing with reality at all. Well, for that, you need, you'll only uncover it with understanding and patience. So that means you have to hear them out and see what is it that has gripped them. So what is it that's, that's triggering this? But if you're taking offense, your curiosity is going to shut down because you know, it's going to be more about teaching a lesson in that, in that moment. And then you're ultimately in opposition with them, right? It seems and like no good easily... will come of it. Yeah, no, really. It's just like you do not want to have mutually angry encounters with patients. Yeah, there's, there's no middle ground. <laughs> no. And yeah. so it means that we just have to use it as like, as training, really, you just be detached from yourself, be detached from things, you know, have the sense of, uh, you know, trying to like use this to become humble in that moment and just to be gracious. Okay. So a lot of times with a little bit of foresight, you can have yourself like prepared for it. Like the nurse tells you, oh, this patient's really angry. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, with that, then you think, what is the ideal I'm going to try to surprise this patient with? Mm-hmm. I'm going to surprise them with how understanding I am, you know, with, with how like compassionate I am, how agreeable, whatever it is, you do want to surprise the person with that. And we can just pick one, make it simple. They just pick one. Any of them would work. It's like, it's, they're all just species of being loving. Kevin, is, you, is there yeah. ever, I guess one thing that I hear a lot when, when people get angry or you're met with anger, commonly people say, just walk away. Don't engage. Just Ooh, walk no. away. Is that yeah. bad advice? I think it's bad advice in general. Now, it could be if someone is being abusive that, yes, you need distance. But generally speaking, people are angry because a bond is threatened or they feel somehow like alone and unsafe. Ah. And then making them feel more alone and unsafe is actually a form of punishment usually. It's a mm. negative reinforcement. So I think that to be present with them, there's actually this very – Beautiful thing that uh, I read on, um, there was a report on communication styles of Indian peoples, so Native mm. Americans. And they actually say there, it's appropriate to be silent when someone is angry or out of control or overcome with sadness until that person regains control. I think it's a beautiful thing you know, that mm. this idea, it's, it's appropriate to be silent then, but not to be shutting down and withdrawing, but to be leaning in and engaging, but silently like, and like essentially telling them, tell me more. Yeah. You know, and you kind of drain out the poison, you know, by <laughs> engaging it, letting them say it, you know, and it might take a while, but you just have to patiently drain it out until then finally you're going to get to the grief underlying it. And then you're there with them in it and you're being understanding and that's going to help heal the grief. Because they're going to expect you to want to fight back, probably. Oh, yeah. And so, so they're going to be taken off guard big time when you don't come in swinging, so to speak. Yeah. And it's also, just, it is like, it's, it's, if we were angry at someone, it's how we would want them to be towards us. You know, we would want to like, that they really heard us and that they understand us. And then they're helping us to process it, to get, and processing anger really means getting to the grief underlying it. So it's like, so you're helping them to process it too by doing that. 
So Kevin, the, the concrete thing that led to this episode was a lot of doctors caring for COVID patients. And it's exemplified by this uh, quote from a, a Tennessee paper from uh, back in October when it says, quote, the front page last week had a story about ICU doctors being harangued by the unvaccinated patients and their families they are caring for who are telling the docs, you are making me sick. This is your fault. This isn't because of a virus or not having a vaccine. And the people taking care of them, those ICU docs and nurses, are some of the most tired in the whole medical care system. And many of them tell me they feel like they just can't handle it anymore. For people that are that worn down, both physically and emotionally, is it the same advice or is there something else you would add to it to help these especially vulnerable healthcare professionals? Well, if it's if it's possible to have for them to have some time to rest and recuperate, you know, that certainly is necessary. But at the same time, there are situations and pandemics and being an ICU doctor in a pandemic could be one of them where the only solution actually is a higher level of virtue. You know, and it really does mean asking yourself the question, how much do I really want to become a saint? Because <laughs> yes. our Lord said, turn the other cheek, go two miles for someone who wants you to go one, you know, Give your cloak to someone who takes your tunic. Well, all of that is like, uh, that's a heroic style of virtue in itself, isn't it? That, yes. that we do. And I think that doctors are, we have a wonderful profession that actually requires a certain nobility of us. And the nobility means that we do rise to the occasion so that these challenges bring out the best in us. Because that, in fact, is what will best further the health of those patients and their families. So yes, it's hard, um, but I don't think that we can, um, I don't think that it's going to be like a fruitful path to see, um, I don't know, to, to, to feel kind of victimized by the circumstance. Not that mm -hmm. people are saying that, but, no. but if, if that's what was happening, you know, I think that instead it's a call to the nobility of our vocation as doctors and to say, well, people give us all this respect precisely for these kinds of reasons. If, you know, the, if there's a contagion, we actually expose, we threat, our life gets threatened, you know, because you have to be sometimes near the contagious person, at least in past times, you know, doctors risk their lives to be with contagious people. Well, this isn't so bad. They're not, you know, because we're unlikely to get, you know, ill from them, but we do have to put up with a lot of these things that would rightly make us frustrated, but still it's a call to something higher. Kevin, how do we do that with prayer? When, when I know I'm going into a room, somebody's going to be angry, or you, like you said, you can kind of compose yourself. What's the best way to incorporate prayer to rise to the higher level of virtue? Well, I think that the, the gift that wins, I'm sorry, the, the prayer that wins the gift of counsel from the Holy Spirit is simply to ask, Holy Spirit, about this, give me light. Just asking the Holy Spirit with confidence for light on this particular, what you're about to do. And you will get a light. And, and, and there is always going to be some way that, that it's, the, it's the gift of counsel that lets us know in these difficult matters, what is the best way to respond? I think that has to be part of it, you know, is that you're, you're actively trying to rely on God. You know, and that means, one, giving you light and also relying on God to be the one to change hearts. We, all we can do is work is you know hunger and thirst for our own holiness you know to be like doing all we can to let situations bring out the best in us and so we're truly aiming for the real heights of sanctity well that we can do and then you can say the more the worse it is the better you know because it's going to help us <laughs> become holier uh, one of my favorite lines that you've said in any of our episodes was that the uh, universe is not optimized for our comfort but it is optimized for our growth and i think we're yes. getting that in spades in this episode aren't we yeah, I think that's the idea is that there's something, and this is why the Beatitudes are so relevant. It's just once you take, start thinking about anger, you see that, boy, all of you, there are whole aspects of our Lord's teaching that only apply when you're angry. <laughs> it's like that these things matter. They somehow hit us most. Like, whoa. And you see his example and you're most struck by it in the moment when you can see what you, how we are tempted to be when we're offended. Now, you've mentioned in the moment of anger, you know, asking how angry am I? Mm -hmm. talked about focusing on the bond. Now, when we've had adrenaline rushes and other situations, you've also talked about uh, breathing. Is that ever helpful in this situation? Certain type yeah, of breathing. Yeah. 
Absolutely. But you, you may not have much time for it. Right. No, but, but the, so the, how angry am I is great because it works instantly. Okay. And you, you, you change it and you can see that, okay, you know, maybe it's only like a three out of four. It's not, it's not, it's not a binary thing. I'm angry or I'm not. There's this whole spectrum. And then you realize I have a lot more room here to be patient. It's a beautiful thing Aquinas says that for all difficulties within us, the solution is patience. And for all difficulties outside of us, the solution is charity. So always we have time, I think, to focus on either just patiently enduring the sensation of the anger, you know, and letting ourselves feel it. And also then aiming for what's the most loving thing I can do right now, which is like, what's the kind of tone I want to be generating around me? I think mindfulness as a practice helps us to carry with us a kind of, um, you know, some kind of recollected tone. You know, what I mean here is that simply the practice of being aware of the present moment and what we're feeling, like owning up to it lets us carry this recollection around with us. So you think of like, what's the kind of tone that I want? Well, anger is not going to produce the right tone, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, but, but being recollected and then using that pause to kind of like aim for an ideal. Now we have something good to strive for. And perhaps you could say that anger then becomes a kind of daring. Like now we're striving, you know, to, to kind of conquer this, this situation, you know, in the sense of, making sure that it really brings out the best in us. In our recent annual conference of the Catholic Medical Association uh, in Orlando, where you gave uh, three incredible presentations, the word of the conference was reframing. This came from a number of different people, and, and that was due to one of your, your presentations. And it sounds like, you know, reframing anger as an opportunity to grow in some virtue is one of the, the best things we can do. Absolutely. Yes. And so I think that there are always going to be when you're reframing, one way of reframing is thinking like just at the level of a skill. What kind of skill is this giving me a chance to practice? Well, maybe rating anger is the skill. So, <laughs> you know, or, or like slowing down, being aware of the sensation, how it changes with the breath. If you can feel how the feeling of anger shifts from inhale to exhale within your chest, you're not going to act on it. So there, there are these skills that are components of bigger virtues than of being patient at a higher level, you know, being, being meek, being understanding, being compassionate, being loving, all these things. So you start like looking at these higher and higher levels, but the very height are the bonds, the bond with God and the bond with others, you know, and whatever the trigger is, it's allowing us to grow all along that spectrum. Another little help that I've learned from one of your, your podcasts, and we haven't gotten to talk about it with regard to breathing, but I've noticed when I'm angry or anxious, I tend to breathe through my mouth. And if I start to breathe through my nose, it helps. Why is that? Oh, there's a lot of reasons that could be. One of the most fascinating things about breathing through your nose is it shifts your neural activity to the right hemisphere. So but if you breathe through your mouth, it shifts it to the left hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Now, we didn't get into all the hemispheric differences, but- Oh, we did in the previous episode. Yeah. So, no, the, so the, the left hemisphere, really, and when it comes to anger, I would say it's always focused on the outcome of achieving the punishment, and it's always the logic of justice. It's all about just what's fair and just. Shifting to the right hemisphere, it's much more about the logic of love and what furthers the bond. Interesting that just such a simple thing as where you're breathing plays this difference, like where what side of the brain you're going to be tending to use more. You know, Kevin, one other thing kind of in regard to healthcare in specific, I know some of our listeners are saying, yeah, but that that wouldn't solve my problem where, you know, especially with COVID, the thing that we're seeing is an unprecedented amount of patients who, who come with their own kind of medical advice that might be different than their healthcare team. And we've done, you know, I don't know, 50 hours of COVID on this show and, <laughs> and plenty. Um, so, but I get met with that a lot. Um, you don't know what you're talking about. Why won't you do this for me? You know, you must, you must not care about me and you're not very smart of a doctor. And they, how, how do you find the bond in that? Because I think that that was at least several of the emails that caused us to bring on the show for, for those interactions. What do we do? Well, you may not be able to control how other people see you. And I think it's always going to be a problem to make that the object of your effort. 
because you're going to be frustrated. It's not, you should never strive for those things that are outside of your control. You should only strive for the things that you yourself can do. And so that you use this as an opportunity to grow in being patient and loving, well, isn't that going to make you a better doctor in all other areas? And is it going to make you a better person, better husband, better father, all these things? Yes. So that could be a very fruitful time for you and a very fruitful interaction. But you can't be tied to the outcome in this moment, in this interaction, because you just don't have to control over it. So that this interaction bring out the best in you certainly will be, be the best thing for that patient. But it also is going to be the best thing for you and your family and everyone else. So, so I think that you have to have like a wider context in how you're viewing this. You can't be laser fo like focused on getting the patient to take this thing or to do this treatment. And so as long as we respect these limits, I think that we actually can be more convincing also with patients because they see we're not trying to control them, which is actually what makes them angry anyway. We're respecting them. We're allowing them to disagree. We're doing, you know, and we're trying to bond with them as human beings, not just do this thing or agree with me on this. So I think you just want to avoid all force. And instead, you do have to focus on building the bond with the patient too. Yeah, the bonds and, and the meekness, huh? Those are the yeah. big, <laughs> big things. I think that's St. John the Cross said, lose if you want to win. And I think that's the way these things often go. It's like, yeah, we have to be willing that we can't convince them. We recognize what the limits are of what we can do. That we're there to answer any questions they might have. You know, and so we're happy to answer their questions. We understand why this is frustrating and difficult. There's a lot of different opinions out there. And if we can get them curious about another way of viewing it, you know, if we can, when they present obstacles, if we can kind of get excited about, oh, hey, it's like to teach them something new. And like, and to be, I know there's a lot of, there's a million different things that you, you know, that you could say, but in some way, what would you most want that interaction to look like? That's what you have to aim for. Kevin, we got 30 seconds left. What's your final words for our listeners on anger? Uh, I think my final word would be that uh, anger is most shapeable when it's actually at its peak, which is an interesting thing about anger, but that's in the moment if you don't act on it but you learn to be patient with it and to reframe it as an opportunity, you deeply change your, your, your character. But you might feel, and this is a trick, you might feel defeated when it's triggered, but you're not. You're ready for a victory. <laughs> and you will become more virtuous and less triggerable as a result. Kevin Majors, thank you for your wisdom on anger. I'm sure many are gonna benefit. God bless you. And we'll be back with the answer to the trivia question after the break. And we are back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the medical trivia question about anger. Yes, yeah, so the, the short question is, what is the class of drugs that reduce the effects of anger on causing symptoms from an irregular heartbeat? And the class of drugs who many of you have heard of are called beta blockers. I love beta blockers. What do you love about them, Andrew? I, I, I love because they are so predictable. A lot of people know them and they work so well, not only for physiological things, but also for so many, I'm going to say psychological things, performance, anxiety, anxiety in general. Kevin's mentioned them on his show, uh, on our show before with exposure therapy. It's just a great class of drugs. What a gift. So there you have it. And now, Andrew, what are your top three takeaways from this incredible episode? Well, I, I think we could have, <laughs> you know, the top 23 takeaways. <laughs> uh, Kevin is just full, full of wisdom. But I'd say if we had to distill it down, I'm all about practical points. What, what is Andrew Malai going to do next time I'm, I'm feeling anger? First thing, point one, I'm going to say, how angry am I? And I love how Kevin describes it. All of a sudden, I'm not feeling the anger anymore. I'm observing the anger. I'm thinking about it. And I am now objective to my feeling of anger. And so more likely, I'm not going to react in anger. More likely, I'm going to observe it and then have the opportunity I can act in a better way. Um, item number two, I would say, is to preserve the bond. Uh, Kevin talks a lot about bonds. And even though sometimes I'd, I, I feel tempted, you know, maybe my life would be better if I never saw this person again. And I think that's a common feeling for people sometimes. But Kevin pointed out that that's really a kind of a theory of punishment or an act of punishment. And really working on that bond, you know, 
we might be the only person who can bring Christ to that person today. And hopefully if, if we're doing a good job, we can bring Christ to everybody we interact with. And so wa- walking away is not the best answer. We've got to focus on the bonds. And number to, three to that end, <laughs> yeah, we've got to work on virtue. We're, we're called to increase our virtue, especially that of meekness. And so meekness is the antidote to anger and we all have room to improve. And that's our goal. Yep. Meekness, strength under control. When I finally learned that meekness was not weakness, that just transformed the way I look at so much of what Jesus said and did. And in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it said nobody was meeker than who? Moses was the wow. meekest of men. A lot of strength under a lot of control with those stiff-necked Israelites. <laughs> so stiff-necked. Sounds like it hurt. Well, I, I, I'm definitely going to reflect on meekness as kind of my my bumper sticker to try and go away with and get better with anger. Well, thank you for listening with us, all of you, for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. We ask you, please share the good news of the show with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. And you can also find all of our old episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. For those who want to dive deeper into some of the topics, check out the websites for bonus links, information, and for our, our post on each episode. Just click latest at the top of the main page. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, and we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.